football on Off The Ball. With Sky. The Premier League is back. Watch every live game for the rest of the season on Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. I'm prepared to end it my well, do it then. Do it then. What about your start to the game? I was, it wasn't bad, was it? <laughs> Why should be an honest answer be a mistake? How can a modern day manager not have a mobile phone? Why should he? Oh. Welcome along to Monday's Football Show. It's Nathan with you this evening. I'm joined on the line by Jonathan Wilson and Philippe O'Claire to uh, look back on a Premier League weekend that I think it's fair to say has plenty of talking points. Uh, it all started Friday night. Aston Villa, good victory against Leeds United. And then we had the Manchester Derby early on Saturday morning with its uh, fair share of controversy as United came from behind to beat Manchester City 2-1. Uh, I think most people would say probably a well-deserved victory for Manchester United. Liverpool beaten again 3-0 away from home against Brighton. Everton in absolute crisis on and off the pitch, beaten 2-1 at Goodison Park by Southampton. Nottingham Forest giving themselves a real chance of survival with their home form, a 2-0 win against Leicester. There was a 1-0 win, much needed for Wolves against West Ham with David Moyes very much on that crisis list as well. And Brentford, what a season they're having with a 2-0 win against Bournemouth. And then yesterday, Chelsea eased the pressure a little bit on Graham Potter with a 1-0 win against Crystal Palace. Newcastle still right up there contending, left it late. Alexander Izak with the winner against Fulham. And then the North London derby. Arsenal just are not going away. Eight points clear at the top of the Premier League with one of their more convincing performances of the season so far, uh, beating Spurs in that North London derby by two goals to nil. Jonathan, good evening. Evening, how are you doing? Philippe, good evening to you. Good evening to you too. So, where to start? Where to start? I might go back to Saturday morning then and start with the uh, the Manchester derby. Uh, Jonathan, uh, it's hard to think of the second match of a Premier League double that is so uh, in such stark contrast to the first. When you think of the Etihad back at the beginning of October and Manchester City produced one of the all-time great Premier League attacking performances in that 6-3 victory and Haaland gets the hat-trick. Foden is in the form of a life with a hat-trick. Jack Grealish, it felt like a real landmark day and how he important he was in that fixture. And then the city that turned up at Old Trafford on Saturday seemed a shadow of that side. What is going on with Manchester City right now that it felt that day leaving the Etihad they were just going to kick on and rock it the way they usually do through a season? Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely not that sense of remorselessness that I think we've we've got used to as City. I, I'd be slightly cautious of, of saying that things are going badly wrong. Um, I, I think, um, yeah, they, they've still won nine of the last fourteen games. It's not, it's not a crisis. Uh, <laughs> I think if Saturday was a game alone, then you'd say it's a derby. Uh, we've seen them. You know, City record in, in derbies is, is not that great, uh, given how good they've been in, in other matches. Uh, yeah, they had a habit of losing to, to Solskjaer's United. Uh, I think the conditions on Saturday uh, were, were very difficult. Um, there was there'd been a lot of rain that morning. Uh, it was still the wind was very very gusty, and you could see that particularly in the first half that a lot of passes were were over hit or under hit. The players were really struggling to. To, to 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 cope with the wind, and you, you saw pretty much everybody yeah, missing their touch or misplacing passes. Edison's kicking, your know, long range kicking was was really poor, which is not like him. So I think you could say, yeah, the wind unsettled them. Uh, so there's lots of excuses or explanations for that game, and obviously the the United equaliser comes with a whole load of caveats. But it's when you put that in the context of failing to beat Frank Lampard's Everton, and then I think more seriously that. Carabao Cup defeat at Southampton where if he didn't have a, a shot on target for the whole game he didn't have a shot on target in the first half on, on Saturday and I know that there's a fairly significant difference in personnel between um, the Southampton game and, and 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 then Saturday I think you'd even say the first half of the league game against Chelsea they weren't particularly impressive so something does seem just to be slightly off there and that then of course always inevitably leads to, to conversations about Holland and how Holland fits in in that team <laughs> um and and there's a couple of things going on there so the first is i think i think it was Miguel Delaney's piece in independently point pointed this out that Holland on Saturday had 19 touches uh if you looked at the equivalent game last season you had that 2-0 to city that could have been you know, seven or eight nil. It was an absolute mm. thrashing. Uh, I think the, the fewest touches anybody had was on the city team was 70, 70 odd. 
So Guardiola is trying to have that level of control, that that level of passing, but with one player less. Yeah, Holland does not do, does not get involved in the play in the same way. He doesn't um, doesn't contribute to those long skeins of passing, which seem to be necessary to the Guardiola project. Now, one of the things Guardiola said when 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 asked why he he feels the need to have yeah these these long strings of passes is that it takes fifteen passes for his side having won the ball back to get set up to attack because if they don't have that they can be counted against very easily and the way they play with that high line with the press means they're very vulnerable to being counted so you can see why he wants to guard against that um, but if you've got Holland you have to play the ball forward quickly. Uh, so, I mean, the community shield, you saw that very clearly. Holland kept making the runs and he wasn't getting the, the passes. It was similar on Saturday. He kept making the runs and he wasn't getting the ball played to him. So you're sort of negating one of his strengths with one of Guardiola's traditional strengths. So there's a there's an immediate um, contradiction there. There's, a, there's, a, um, there's some kind of compromise has to be reached. Uh, and what was really interesting to me, bearing that in mind on Saturday, was there was a moment in that period when City were 1-0 up when somebody was down getting treatment, so the, the play was stopped. And Guardiola was on the pitch. He was sort of three or four yards on the pitch, absolutely screaming at Holland. And he seemed to be saying, I mean, you know, I'm looking, I'm sitting in the press box looking down at him, trying to work out what message he's passing on. He seemed to be saying he wanted Holland to play deeper, to get more involved in the play, which makes sense in the context of, you know, 19 touches as opposed to a minimum of 70-odd last season. But it doesn't make sense in the context of Holland. So, so that, I think, is a is a big problem. And the reason he wants all these touches, the reason why he wants this passing is to prevent precisely the sort of counter-attack from which Manchester United scored both their goals. Philippe, uh, uh, Jonathan Walton indulge me in the Manchester City in crisis talk. Uh, we can surely focus in on Hurling Haaland and his crisis of going two Premier League games without a goal and only what, 21 in 17 now for Erling Haaland. There has been a lot of focus on the, on the lack of touches and lack of involvement and a, a sense that Maybe they scored 99 goals last season. They might score 99 goals this season, but 40 of them might come from Erling Haaland this season and that the other attacking players aren't making the same type of runs because Haaland is quite often in that position. Uh, this wasn't the case of Erling Haaland being thrust upon Pep Guardiola. So he had obviously prepared for his arrival and knew exactly what he was going to get. When you look at City and what's been happening really since, since the World Cup and over the last two or three games and uh, teams maybe starting to get a bit of a handle on Haaland and also City struggling to make a breakthrough. What do you see when you watch them? Um, I, I I don't see um, the problem starting and stopping with Erling Haaland. There are other players who are um, certainly uh, not quite as efficient as they used to. I mean, I mean, Phil Foden is an example in mind. You were talking about the fantastic form he was in uh, when uh, they beat Manchester United 6-3 in, in October. Uh, it doesn't seem to be quite in that that uh, form. I don't think they're suffering from a massive World Cup hangover as other teams are. Like, for example, PSG are suffering, obviously, quite clearly from a terrible hangover uh, after the World Cup. Uh, I think there is an element of um, lack of rhythm, and I don't know if it uh, it is to be put squarely on the shoulders of Herding Holland, uh, even though there are very big shoulders, so it's very tempting to do that. Uh, the other thing I would say is that until the equaliser, uh, I thought Manchester City played quite well. <laughs> and uh, that also the, the, the entry of uh, Jack Grealish, uh, you know, made the difference that it had made against Chelsea. You know, he was the provider against Chelsea, he was the mm. scorer against Manchester United. And I, I do think sometimes football is chaos. And the fact is, that equalizing goal certainly changed absolutely everything. What they do not have, though, City at the moment, they don't exude the same uh, confidence uh, as they used to. You don't feel, like you, you did in the past, that when if they went um, behind in the game, they would find the answers to everything. That's not quite the case. Um, other players have also perhaps not been... Uh, performing at quite the level that would be expected of them. Um, for a while, it was Kevin De Bruyne, actually. Pep Guardiola mentioned him um, by name at one point. There have also been a number of changes in the in the back line, uh, some of which have been more difficult to understand than others, some of which 
uh, have been caused by injury, uh, but others by tactical choices by Guardiola. And we know he can overthink, overthink things a little bit. And lastly, you would also have to stress the fact that this Manchester United team is making very, very huge progress. I mean, very big progress at the moment. And is also set up in a way that is ideal to counter, to do the, the counter-counter that Jonathan was referring to. They're ideally uh, suited for this kind of thing. So you put all of this together. I wouldn't be um, so surprised if you, you saw Manchester City uh, getting some form back. Uh, the next game is against Tottenham. Uh, I'd be worried if I was a Tottenham, support, uh, Tottenham mm-hmm. supporter. And they're, actually, they're meeting Tottenham twice in two weeks, aren't they? Uh, yeah. That could be quite nasty. So, um, I mean, I don't know what Jonathan thinks about that, but I, I, I do think, that, I, I think, is it 58 minutes or something like that when um, uh, Bruno Fernandes, I was about to say Marcus Rashford scores. <laughs> he does after a fashion, doesn't he? Uh, but at that time, before that counter, you're thinking, well, City actually have played some really good football. Uh, they're ahead logically. And the commentators were actually lauding um, the performance of Manchester City. Then suddenly there is something which happens. And we're not going to go into that because uh, this question about the laws of We can't ignore it. It's, a, it's an well, insane decision. Is it not an insane decision? Um, by the letter of the law, uh, no, it's not an insane decision. Uh, it's all it's all to do with the definition of interference in in the laws of the game. There is uh, some of the words they use are are open to interpretation, and I think that if you um, I, almost anybody who has ever watched any ever watched football would say no, that's absolutely ridiculous. He's clearly interfering with play, as Akanji is is explaining. Akanji is playing the line. The line he's keeping is based on the position of Rashford. Rashford is offside, so therefore Akanji doesn't uh, do the adjustment that is necessary to stop Bruno Fernandes. Because as far as he's concerned, Rashford, who is not running with the ball, but is running with the trajectory of the ball, which mm. is, he's running with the ball without the ball, so to speak. So he is interfering, obviously. But if you look at the wording of the laws, strictly speaking, yes, the goal can stand. So it's it's a case where thing something can be both right and wrong at the, exactly the same time. Uh, was it Keith Hackett who was uh, one of the many referees uh, who uh, is in the media this day said if that's the law, the law is an ass. Uh, Jonathan, I, I yep. was making the point after the match that if you took Marcus Rashford out of that picture completely, what would it look like? And would mm. everybody move in the exact same way? And uh, such as modern no, science, I saw people, I mean, people did that. And you look at Akanji's run when Rashford's not there, it looks insane. You yeah. look at Ederson's position. Yeah, I, exactly. I know it by the level I mean, of if, the law, if, but... if Rashford isn't there, Akanji can, can sprint into that space where he yep. can't sprint because Rashford's there and he can probably hook the ball away. And yeah, Edison's positioning as well. Edison would probably be further off his line if Rashford isn't there. So I, I think I think what's happened is uh, one of the consequences, one of the side effects of VAR has been that we've tried to tighten up definitions of things like handball and offside. And the problem with doing that is the the, the you know the, the more the more explanation you have the more ambiguities you create um and and it was a i, I think you know i think the reaction in the press box i think pretty much everybody went through the same thought process which was oh he's that's offside tomorrow's offside we can see it's offside oh hang on well maybe he hasn't touched maybe he hasn't touched it well what is the law does that oh god maybe this did on ah oh, well that's wrong but maybe it's gonna oh it does count <laughs> And, and I, I, you know, I could hear that conversation going on, you know, 20 different places around me. And I would assume that almost everybody's ever watched any football in their lives was going through a similar process. Um, so, I mean, look, I think Philippe's on, on the point about City, I think United played really well first half. Um, Rashford had those two one-on-ones. I think the second half after the substitution, particularly City took control. And, you know, my... My intention after 75 minutes was to write a piece on City squad is incredible. Uh, yeah, as against Chelsea, the substitutes have changed the game. Here, the, the substitutes have changed the game. And this is why I still think they'll win the title over Arsenal. But then and, uh, this other sort of recurring City theme happens, which is Guardiola's side conceding goals in, in quick succession, which has been a feature, I mean, even back to his Barcelona days, that when something goes wrong, it often goes quite badly wrong 
for a period of 10, 15, 20 minutes. Um, so two goals in four minutes on Saturday, but you can look back at that game. You know, the, the game they lost to Crystal Palace when Andros Townsend scored that brilliant goal. Mm. The game they lost 4-1 four, four or 4-2, was it, to Leicester? A similar thing, three goals in quick succession. There was a game they lost in the Champions League to Liverpool 3-0 when all the goals were in a, you know, 15 minutes just before half-time. The game they lost 4-3 at Liverpool when Liverpool suddenly went 4-1 up. Um, Why is that? I think it's... it's well, I, my... I don't know, but a possible explanation, which Guardiola is so twitchy about, it suggests to me that he thinks it might be true, um, is that because <laughs> because it's a team that essentially uh, individuality is is sort of conditioned out of the players, they they have to submit themselves to the to the demands of a unit and to the system. When that system misfires, um, there's nobody on the pitch who can who can take control, can can grab the game by the scruff of the neck and say, right, this isn't happening. So there's no... If the Guardiola system sort of militates against leaders on the pitch. Mm. So whereas, you know, Manchester United with Roy Keane, they concede a goal, Keane gets everybody going again. He makes a... You know, he lunges into a tackle or he screams at somebody or, you know, he 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 sort of can, can grab the course of a game and shift it his way. This, a Guardiola team doesn't have that type of player because that type of player finds it very hard to submit to the demands of a system, which is one of the beautiful paradoxes of football, that the system in modern football tends to be what wins, and yet it has this flaw that when it begins to go wrong, it can often spiral out of control very quickly. Even the the uh, Champions League semi-final against Real Madrid last season, they concede one, and you sort of could feel the second coming almost mm. immediately. And then the third came, what was it, three, four minutes into extra time? Philippe, have you ever, and having covered uh, Pep Guardiola teams for years, have you ever seen a manager who seems to have more control of what his players do on the pitch during a game? Uh, or a, a manager who appears to have as much control? Appears to. Would, appears to. I would say that, no, I can think of a few others. I think Rafa Benitez is another one, uh, in a very different style, obviously. Uh, I think that you can get into that... Um, uh, that feeling that um, that uh, Pep Guardiola is operating a kind of remote control uh, apparatus at times, uh, I suppose so, uh, because many of the patterns of play which have been repeated at Museum on the training ground, as you know, there there are some typical Manchester City moves which can make you think and feel like you're seeing automatons, which is not quite right. Uh, it's precisely the moment when they do uh, perform from memory that they're not as good as they should be. The moment that uh, they are not using their improvisational qualities. Um, I mean, Jonathan can correct me uh, if I quote him, if I quote Pep wrongly on this, but he says that one of the things that he's looking in players uh, that he loves the most is the dribbling ability. And you you can't program dribblers. Uh, A a lot of it is left to uh, off-the-cuff improvisation within a system, obviously, and and within um, some... uh, well, automatic, automatic, we call automatism in, in French. I mean, patterns of play which have been rehearsed uh, and, and which can be executed almost without thinking, purely intuitively. Uh, so, yes, you can get this impression. And I think that Pep Guardiola himself wouldn't be uh, adverse, wouldn't put it against you, against you if you if you said mm. that to him. Because I think he likes to be seen as this kind of um, uh, demiurgic figure, uh, the, this creator who is in charge of absolutely everything. But I think there are plenty of other, plenty of other. There are a number of other managers who have had uh, just as I, I took the example of Benitez precisely because it, it is almost a, a contrario example of a kind of football which is so different from that of Guardiola. But believe me, everything was put in place which in in such a way that sometimes um, the team was performing exactly precisely like automatons, but automatons with with intelligence. I, I'm brought back to one game a Manchester derby actually Jonathan at the Etihad a few years ago the one where United came from behind City could have won the league that day and Pogba scored a couple of goals and it was one of the few mm-hmm. times I've been at the Etihad in the press box and not actually commentating and having to follow the ball and you find yourself just drawn to watching Guardiola and it always struck me Danilo played it right back and Danilo did not move until Guardiola gave him the say so he would <laughs> look across he was in that he was 
stood right in front of the technical area where Guardiola was and Guardiola would clap his hands and when the centre half had it then it would go mm. and he would wait for that clap of the hands before he go and I'd never seen a manager because often you do hear players say oh you know once the game starts you, know, you don't notice the ranting and the raving you don't notice what Mikel Arteta is doing on the sideline you're just so focused on the game but Danilo was looking across waiting for that mm. trigger from Guardiola again and again and again so yeah but I mean that, that's an example of a game where Guardiola's side conceded three goals mm. in what was it 15-20 minutes yeah because they were tuned up and cruising after about an hour, right? And then they end up losing it 3-2. Yeah, they're winning the league that day. Yeah. Um, w- one last thing on Haaland, and uh, indulge me or smack me down on this um, and trying to think of comparisons to Erling Haaland. One that came to mind was Ruud van Nistelrooy at Manchester United, where nobody can say van Nistelrooy wasn't an unbelievable success at United. He scores over 20 league goals in four of the five seasons. I think he was injured the other one. But United won three titles in a row before he arrived. They won three titles in a row after he left. And they won one title in the five seasons he was there. When there was a real shift in focus to him being the main attacking outlet. Is there any comparison to that style of setup to Erling Haaland that nobody can doubt that Haaland has been an unbelievable success. May go on to become the greatest ever Premier League striker. But that he has changed Manchester City in a way that will make them more predictable. That will make teams better able to cope with what we've come to see with City over the last few years. Well, I don't think it's about predictability necessarily, um, but it's. It, it, I think the the issue is is that it it prevents them playing that very controlled style that that you have to get the ball forwards in quickly, uh, and he's not contributing to to the maintenance of possession. So it, it there is an immediate tension, and tension isn't necessarily a bad thing. And I think one of the one of the beauties of Guardiola's Barcelona was that tension between the. You know, as, as Philippe was saying, the automata of of a midfield, but then the individualism of Messi, and though the, there that you know, Messi was incorporated within the system, but he had a freedom within the system. He had this this great individuality, um, and and uh, yeah, Guardiola was often quite frustrated with Messi for his his lack of pressing, even though you know, I, I mean, you're testing my memory now, but I th- my memory is that 2010-11 season, Messi was I think it was something like two point three regains per game. And obviously, the last ten years, it's been you know zero point one regains per game, if that. Um, so I, you know, I think that that tension can be very useful uh, because I, I think without that sort of player, uh, without somebody to disrupt the system, uh, you can become very predictable. I think Guardiola is very aware that at times his City have been in, against the very best opponents, have been a bit predictable. Um, I, I mean, I, I, Holland, I think is a is a very unusual player. I think there's been very few players in football history who've had that combination of, of physical prowess and technical prowess and goal-scoring prowess. And you, you you look back at something like Bernabe Ferreira at River Plate in the mid-30s, or I think the player where there is a clear comparison here is um, Edward Streltsov at Torpedo Moscow um late 50s, early 60s. And, and, and Streltsov, of course, is, you know, is famous because he 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 was convicted of rape in 1958 and served six years in jail. And when he came back, Torpedo, without their big star, had won the league for the first time in their history. They they won the league without him. And the the reason was was almost certainly, although it was very difficult for people to talk about this at the time, was Victor Masloff, who was sort of essentially the man who invented pressing, was able to press because he didn't have this big star. He had a load of players who did what he told them to do. And he had Andre Bieber was the one sort of creative player who, who was slightly released from the, the these pressing mechanisms. And when Strasov comes back into the side, football's moved on from six years earlier when he previously played. And he really found it very difficult to, to cope with the new football. And obviously he was finding it difficult to cope with everything else as well, of, of, you know, of resettling back into civilian life after living in the prison and, and you know, all the talk about his offence and should he be playing again. And you know, he'd been banned by the Communist Party for, I think, two or three years after he got out of jail. But actually there's a big tactical issue going on there as well. And they, they do win the league once more with him in the side, but there was always a sense of of that that friction between what what Maslow wanted to do, and and, and the, the way that Strelsov wanted to play, and I think that's what we're seeing here. Now, as I say, it, it may be productive, and it may be that in three or four months we're we're looking at a, a you know a Champions League quarter final or semi final where City have come under a bit of pressure, and Holland has scored a goal out of nothing, and they've won the game that possibly in previous seasons they'd have lost, but it may also be that that. If he, you know, if if, if uh, that tension between him and the system isn't productive, 
that they they can get done on the break in, in, in the way that United did them on the break twice on Saturday. It's a much better historical comparison than mine. I've got to give you that, Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, I mean, your, your comparison is also equally... Yeah, well, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a similar thing of a, a great goal scorer who doesn't necessarily make the system better. Mm. And then, I mean, you can say Ronaldo, right? Ronaldo in his days, it's Ooh. certainly at Juve in the first, his first season of this spell back that loads of goals, but probably made the team worse by doing so. I do want to touch on Manchester United as well. I've been told we need to go to a quick break. So actually, what we'll do is we'll go to the break and we'll come back and we'll talk about Manchester United and Liverpool. Jonathan Wilson and Philippe Oclair are with us. The Koi Gig part. I then had to then fake an injury because I didn't want to tell people that I was pregnant until the 12-week scan. That's, it's mad to think of, really. It seems kind of archaic. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. Football on Off The Ball With Sky All the football you love in one place Across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports Welcome back to Monday's Football Show Nathan with you this evening Jonathan Wilson and Philippe Clare are with us We've been talking about the blue side of the Manchester Derby Let's talk about the winners of that game Then Manchester United uh, Philippe this is a remarkable turnaround. I think you touched on it. The biggest difference from the first derby is actually the improvement of Manchester United. Uh, one yep. defeat in 11 Premier League games since then. Five straight victories. When you look at that performance and what they've been producing over the last few weeks under Eric Ten Hag, do you see this as a, a radical transformation in their tactical approach and their man management from, from where they were oh, four or five months ago, a year ago? There's a bit of everything uh, in there. Um, I think a change of attitude uh, Bruno Fernandes, I think, said something which was quite loaded immediately after the game. Uh, he said something like, well, you can see how good we are when we play for each other. And uh, <laughs> which suggests that they might not have been playing for each other before. Um, I mean, he's made some really bold and unusual and unexpected choices. I mean, one of the best performers in City was Luke Shaw playing in the, in the role of a left-footed central defender which is not an idea that would have come, you know, to many people, I think. I think. He's, he seems to have, certainly the man management is, I think, for a lot uh, about that. And when I say man management is, we saw what happened with Marcus Rashford, um, the carrot and the stick. Um, he doesn't seem to have a side about him, but he also seems to be able to keep the right kind of distance with his players without seeing, seeming too remote and too aloof, which is a, a very delicate balance to achieve but he tells Rashford you should be scoring 20 goals per season then Rashford is going to score more than 20 goals per season if he's not injured. Uh, you see Fredge uh, who is a, a player who can be infuriating very good one day uh, transparent the other um, and well he's performing at the best level. Bruno Fernandes looks like the Bruno Fernandes that we saw before Cristiano Ronaldo arrived at the club and you can go through the, the whole team like that David De Gea as well had uh, gone through a bit of a crisis of confidence seems to be back to um, his best form. So the improvement has been certainly in the organization, certainly in the shape of the team, uh, certainly they know what kind of football they want to play, but the individual has been also, uh, the excuse me, the improvement has also, and perhaps foremost, been individual improvement. Like uh, one Bissaka, I, I thought at one point, that was it. Jago Dalot had taken his place in, in the first 11. We won't see him again. He's too much of a liability defensively. He comes back in the team and performs extremely well. You can carry on like that. Maybe the only minus would be Anthony Martial, uh, who was not quite um, in the mood. I don't know if he had, by the way, I don't know if he had a physical problem or if the change was too completely tactical, but it was not a surprise to have him put at half time. Um, and in all these areas, you know, there has been improvement. But I think the most spectacular one has been in terms of individual performances, not just the organization and so forth. No, actual individual performance in terms of the attitude, the commitment, the focus, all these sort of things. They do look like a, a proper team and a very dangerous one at that. What's the view of Martial in France, Philippe? Uh, to be honest, he's not in the picture anymore, um, which is Strange. Is he, but is uh, it, in terms think, of his career development, that, is there that sense of a real disappointment? Yes. Uh, well, I, I, as I said, he's not really in the picture because uh, when you think about uh, who France has been deploying as uh, as a number nine, if you want to think as Marcel as a number nine, which we nobody seems to be still quite sure about, by the way, we've been playing with uh, two 30-year-olds, Karim Benzema and, and Olivier Giroud. 
And when Karen Benzema got injured, um, I can't remember, or wasn't available, I can't remember anybody saying, well, Anthony Martial, that's the moment to bring him back in. He's, as I said, he's, he's out of the picture. Uh, as a wide player as well, he's not seen as being quite on the level of a Coman or, um, you know, or, or Ben Yedder even. Um, uh, or, you know, a bit weakened, or well, certainly not Mbappe, but he seems to, yeah, he's he's been a, a big disappointment. And um, I think people have probably passed judgment on him. I mean, he was very young, but have already passed judgment on him. Uh, Jonathan, the performance at the weekend then, like tactically, he got it spot on. There's probably a bit of humility there, even though it is a Manchester derby and they're at home. He's not afraid to bring Fred in and keep him close to De Bruyne and tell Ericsson to sit on Rodri and just try and stop that supply line, bringing Shaw back in again, considering Martinez is back from the World Cup. Uh, what was your take on, on how he set United up to, to try and stymie City? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you pretty much covered it there. The... the it, it just worked. You know, they they denied them space in midfield. They, they you know, the, the line wasn't too aggressive, um, so they were able to absorb a bit of City's possession. They looked very dangerous on the break, which, when Solskjaer's United were causing City so many problems, that you know that was how they hurt them. Um, it obviously helps in doing that when you have you know a Rashford in form that you've got somebody with with pace up there. It's not getting clogged up with Ronaldo, um, and you know, I, I think. You look at that squad, or you look at that that starting eleven, and I would suggest there's probably four players there that he would still like to to move on. That I still think there's a lot of improvement to come here. I think the big two he had to get rid of were, were Ronaldo, clearly, just you know his the way he plays, his ego. I think it was it was it was clogging him up tactically. I think it was it was uh, impinging on well, certainly on Rashford's form. I think maybe on on Fernandez's form as well. I think Pogba was causing them problems as well. So they've, they've shipped out two players who were never going to submit to the system. Uh, but I think De Gea um, is somebody who, before too long, will be moved out because he's not good enough with the ball at his feet. I think Juan Bissaka, although he, you know, he did play well on, on Saturday, I think he's not comfortable enough on the ball to to, to play the sort of system that the Ten Hag wants. Yeah, Martial's now... I mean, I was, I was amazed by this. This is his eighth season at United. And he's one of those players. I sort of feel like he's he's falling into the Theo Walcott category of somebody who every time I see him, oh yeah, he's he's quite a good player. You know, he's he's got a lot of potential there. He's twenty seven. Like the time of potential was four years ago. Mm. You know, he's he's very rapidly moving from the player he might be to the player he could have been. Um, and unless there's some you know, explosion in the next six months, I, I think probably that's it for him. Um, I said four, didn't I? Who was the other one I was I was thinking of? Uh, anyway, three. Let's say three. Um, so, but yeah, he, he and even even you know when he made the change at half time, the fact it was Anthony he brought on to play centrally, which um, I think again is is a non obvious choice, um, and and his you know, his pace and movement was exactly what they needed to to, to play that that counter attacking game. And then you have a substitution he got he got right as well. Vingon Ganacha was exactly what they needed to, to 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 carry the attack down the left, um, which which both stymied the 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 you know, the, the the advances from right back of of Kyle Walker, but also ended up setting up a winner. If he's one made one big mistake this season, Jonathan, it was not starting Casemiro at the Etihad. Yeah, I mean that, that that was a very odd, odd thing. The Casemiro took so long to get in the side, and yet he's he's yeah. I, when I'd seen him at Real Madrid, I knew he was a really good player. I knew he was vital to how that midfield worked, but I, I sort of thought he was a you know, a destroyer who got the ball mm. and gave it gave it quick and easy to Modric Ooh. and Kroos. Actually, he's an amazing footballer, really good on His the ball, range of great passer, is incredible. Yeah, he saw it at the World Cup as well. You know, he, the, the 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 goal he scored, the the um, was it the second or the third goal against Korea? His little his little uh, three ball then, um, and he sort of looks looks liberated at United. And I guess if you're playing with Modric and Kroos, it, it makes sense to get the ball, give it to give it to one of them. Uh, but I do sort of feel we didn't quite see the best of Real Madrid, which seems absurd given how how critical he was to four four Champions Leagues, five Champions mm. Leagues. Yeah, Philippe. Now it does feel as though he was playing within himself. He was just uh, sacrificing himself for the team. 
So, so sorry. Ca- Casemiro was just make, uh, following off from Jonathan's point that maybe he was just sacrificing himself for that Real Madrid team. There was there was a lot more in the locker. Well, yes, maybe he was um, uh, doing in midfield what Karim Benzema was doing in attack with Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> but yes, I mean I can only agree with uh, uh, with, with Jonathan here and. Uh, also looking at Real Madrid this season, uh, it's generally when a player has gone that you realise how important he was and he's left a, a big, big gaping hole there as well. So, yeah, absolutely, absolutely crucial. And when you think of how this uh, uh, this transfer was greeted at the time, people were saying, no, come on, you must be joking. He's on, he's, he's you know, he's 30. Uh, he's not that kind of player Manchester United needs. Uh, Real Madrid only sell players that they know they can do without and so on and so forth. But no, uh, he's he's given them the uh, well. Is he is he perhaps the the kind of player that Manchester City is missing, uh, Jonathan? You know, you were talking about players who can boss from the pitch. He certainly is one. Yeah, I mean, positionally, I guess they've got Rodri and Calvin Phillips, but but in terms of um, the personality to 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 you know to 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 drag a game his way, possibly. But then maybe maybe he wouldn't be be willing to to submit to, to the Guardiola system so uh, and, and that's that's the that's the problem that's the tension with with the way Guardiola plays and it's you know as I said before I think that's one of the fascinating things about football that there is no right way to do it and every every positive has its has its negative and every well no not every negative has its positive because clearly some things are just rubbish but every positive has a <laughs> I, 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 yeah there's there's no way of playing that doesn't leave vulnerabilities uh, let's talk about the North London derby then. Uh, Arsenal, every question that has been asked of them, they're answering it. 18 games gone, 15 wins, two draws, one defeat. They are eight points clear now of Manchester City at the top of the table. And I was watching Paul Merson before and he was getting very excited and looking at these two teams. Arsenal are just going to go and they're going to go and right. And you think, I think they, they showed you what we've seen, but it's a North London derby and Tottenham will be tough to break down. He was pretty much right. I know it was 2-0, but uh, Philippe Arsenal just controlled that game with a, a maturity that people, certainly at the start of the season, were doubting they had in them? Well, I, 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 I beg to differ my first column of the season why it, it was entitled why this could be, uh, or this will be uh, Arsenal's season. Um, <laughs> Take the glory now. I wasn't, expect- Take the glory I wasn't now. expecting that at all. I was thinking place in the top four more than anything else. But yes, um, it, it's difficult in one hand to say uh, if the performance was as good as we thought it was or if uh, Tottenham were as execrable as we as they obviously were but the level of control I mean the first half was a thing of beauty in terms of uh, the way the ball was moving uh, the bravery of the players in the angles of passing which I think is one of the things that uh, makes this Arsenal side very different from other sides in in the Premier League and actually Arteta very different from Guardiola even though everybody says he's like mini Guardiola or whatever uh, his team does play through the lines much more quickly. Uh, and uh, because of the personality of the players who are involved, when you, when you think about somebody like Martin Udegaard, who is having just a, a sublime season. Uh, but in this first half, everything clicked. Uh, it was like a, 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 a best-of compilation of Arsenal since the beginning of the season. And the second half, where you saw the other side, and you saw Aaron Ramsdale obviously having a big impact. You saw... Uh, uh, a central defensive pairing, which was which excelled uh, against uh, you know one of the greatest strikers in world football. Um, you saw uh, uh, resolve, and you saw see also uh, quite a few of the dark arts, uh, as in, for example, uh, I don't think Bukayo Saka uh, would have had done all these niggly little fouls that he did in the second half because he did. I don't think he would have done that a year ago. And that's something that they missed and they've learned very, very quickly. And when you have both this resilience, um, good defensive organization, uh, some wonderful attacking players who are also born improvisers, and I believe the best number 10 in, in the league at the moment, um, which almost makes you forget that um, they have up front a, a player who is wonderfully... Uh, I mean, he's a proper fighter, gives absolutely everything, blah, blah. He's also, he can be deadly in the box, but he's not the greatest centre forward that, you know, you could imagine. And they could be winning the Premier League with Edin Ketia as a centre forward. Mm. That's quite extraordinary, isn't it? 
And the fact that when you see how they've accepted and moved on, the fact that they were gazumped by Chelsea when trying to, to buy Mudrik shows you exactly the kind of state where they are right now, which is a state of confidence and calm, which is uh, exuded by by the team. It's, it's a weird mixture of uh, exuberance and calm, um, which is a very difficult balance to, to, to get. And they have it. And to be honest, they had it against Newcastle as well, and they should have won. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there is absolutely no reason why they can't and shouldn't carry on. Uh, uh, part, obviously, if they have injury problems, everybody knows that. But uh, it reminds me very much um, of what was happening with Leicester in 2015-16, where everybody kept waiting for them to fall. And you know, the dynamics behind the team was such, and the talent of the team was such that... Um, they could go through absolutely anything, any obstacle. Jonathan, they still have to play Manchester City twice, the first of them coming up uh, next month, and obviously there's a cup game between them as well. That that calmness that Philippe is talking about, you know, a lot of people, particularly after the Newcastle game, were zoning in on Mikel Arteta and his behaviour, and did his lack of discipline on the sideline, was that going to filter through to the players? And when we get into the final 10 games and the emotions are incredibly high around the place, would this team have the maturity to deal with it? Are you seeing that calmness on the pitch at the moment that actually... They're very self-assured in what they're doing. Well, they, they were on Sunday, yeah. I mean, the second half when when Spurs did come back at them a bit. Um, in that first sort of fifteen minutes of the second half, you sort of thought, oh, we we might actually have a bit of a contest here, but they they quelled it. Um, there's that very good uh, Ramsdale save from Cessignon, and yeah, maybe if that had gone in as two one, there's a bit more pressure, and um, maybe maybe there is a bit of a wobble. Um, I think you'd look at that final sort of 10, 15 minutes against Newcastle and you'd have a slight concern about that. I think even the way the game against Brighton finished, you'd say like, they're not perfect. They're not they're not City in the way they can close games out, but they're certainly a lot more mature than they than they have been. And I think for me, this weekend was the... It's the weekend when Arsenal, became, for me, became favourites. Uh, yeah, I'd sort of thought, yeah, the squad's not deep enough that they, they, they will... They will eventually wobble, but I, I don't have any great faith in the chasing pack to put together the sort of run that might put pressure on them. And they now are in this great position where they can lose two games, draw another one, and they're still all right. Mm. Um, yeah, obviously they've got those two games against City. They've got United next week, uh, so they've they've still got big games to come. And I, I think also, I, I don't know. If, I mean, maybe this is just me, but I sort of feel like the World Cup has has created this. The the, the dynamic of a season is very different this season, in that it, it sort of feels almost already as if we're in the running, and yet we're not even at the halfway yeah. point yet for the top teams. And I, I don't know if may, maybe we always talk like this at the beginning of January. Maybe you get to halfway and you're always sort of thinking, well, they've got these three or four tough games to come, but yeah, they've got enough of. The... But it, it sort of feels to me we've been very premature with that talk. There's still more than half the season to go. Um, but uh, yeah, an eight-point lead is is very significant, almost irrespective of how much of a season it is to go. What about Tottenham, Philippe? Uh, it's unraveling, uh, and it has been for quite a while. And it's almost half an expectation every morning you wake up, and Antonio Conte have decided I've had enough. <laughs> I, I saw the point made today that you can't have your, you know, your top goal scorer also be your playmaker, and the Kane can't do absolutely yeah. everything, but how does he turn it around if they're not going to dip into the transfer market? Um, I don't have an answer. And being rather partial to Arsenal, I don't know if I had one I wanted, I would like to share it. So uh, <laughs> um, I, I, I think, you know, just as people go through stages of grief, I think Antonio Conte is now going through the stage where he's almost like preparing, you know, the... Uh, I don't know if it's stage three or stage four or five or five or six, but he's definitely going in that direction. Uh, there is an, a lack of terrible lack of creativity in the team, um, which is, as you said, you know, if, if your best playmaker uh, should also be the guy who scores the goals, there's, there's a bit of a problem there. And uh, but who is going to be the creator in that team, for example? I mean, if you look, if you compare with the neighbours, um, Shaka is a creative player. Martin Odegaard is an extraordinarily creative player. Thomas Partey can be a player who he can make the difference. He's also got a great range of passing. Who, 
Would you have Betancourt, perhaps? Rivière, um, no. Um, the the wing-back system, I don't know. I mean, obviously, tactically, I'm not as... as my instrument is not quite that of, of, of Jonathan, but I, I still have a problem with those wing-backs that he's using. I'm, it's, I don't think it's working. Um, I also think the, the squad is a weird mix of players who are of, of tremendous quality, um, players who are decent, and players who perhaps are not what you would expect from uh, a team that pretends that wants to have a place in the top four and, and got a place in the top four. It's a bit of a hodgepodge, really, of, of a squad. They've obviously got a problem with the Goloris. Um, doesn't please me to say that. And there's something, actually, I wanted to mention about that, which has been mentioned by absolutely nobody. Um, I think people are underestimating the, the consequences of Hugo deciding to retire from international football. And he's basically brought what was the most important part of his life as a footballer to a close. And he was very, very emotional last week when he talked about it. And I don't think he was, I think, don't think he's the right mental state for that. It's not just one of those usual clangers people say, oh, he's always has two or three, uh, you know, mistakes like that in him every season. I think there's something more to it than that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of a mess. And um, uh, the, the mess actually is not just um, on the field. You also wonder what exactly uh, is the long-term aim. Um, is it true that uh, Spurs are actually trying to, the the current owners are trying to get out of the club? Uh, or the question that I've heard uh, being put by actually by a friend, a Spurs supporting friend, said how many times would Daniel Levy have sacked Daniel Levy in the past few years? Uh, <laughs> the uh, management appointments which they made um, don't seem to have suited either the players they had at their disposal or they you could carry on like that it's an absolute mess and but they're still fifth mm. and they can still you know they still have got a, a chance to, to to get onto um, you know um, into the top four and, and, and carry on which is very surprising but 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 it's a fact yeah, it's an interesting point on Hugo Lloris that maybe in that Premier League bubble we forget about that actually for a World Cup winning uh, goalkeeper and captain that maybe playing for your country is actually the most important thing in your life than achieving yes, it uh, with your club and the impact uh, on him with that. Uh, uh, Philippe touched on there, they are fifth in the table and like you go through some of those players like Pierre-Emile Hoiberg, great servant, but he's not really, Jonathan, on the level of midfielder of a lot of the teams around him. And in fact, you can actually pick through five or six of that Spurs team and they're not at the level of the clubs they're competing with. Yeah, I'm not sure Hoiber is necessarily the, the first player I'd, I'd criticise. I think him and Benson Kerr together in the middle of midfield I, I think is, is is not brilliant but it's 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 good enough. Uh, I think Lloris has, has... I've sort of felt he's been a, a problem waiting to happen for a couple of years now and it, it now is happening. Uh, for, for two... Yeah, well, the, the, the five wing-backs, haven't they, the, the club... I'm not convinced any of them are good enough. Sessegnon maybe will become so. Uh, Perisic, you know, when he when he can play, but he you know because he, he's 31, he can't play every week. Um, I think they're probably short of one centre back that you can see that Dyer plus Romero plus one might work, but they there's been no consistency selection there. Um, you know, this issue of Kane being both a playmaker and a goal scorer. Well, that that wasn't the problem last season because Son was scoring so many goals. But Son's form has been mm. miserable this season. Um, they they brought in Richarlison as a as a bit of cover, but clearly the preference is to play Kudelski on on the right. And I think he can do some of that playmaking, some of that creativity that Kane is having to do. But his in- injury means he's been in and out of the team. Um, so, it, yeah. It, Yes, certain certain players aren't good enough. Certain players have had problems with fitness. Certain players are out of form, and the the, the whole thing looks looks like a mess at the moment. The, the only thing I'd say against the sort of the, the, the torrent of negativity, totally deserved, reasonable negativity, is the position they were in at this time last year was not dissimilar to this, and they put together a great run uh, on the on the back of a couple of signings, uh, bringing in Kulusevski and Benton Kerr. If they could bring in a couple of players of similar quality. Maybe they can put things together again if if they can actually work out a play in first halves, which is a, a I, I just don't understand how a team can be so bad in the first half and so much better in the second half. Uh, you know, it's a sort of a reverse problem to what Everton have got. Hmm. That if you had Everton's first halves and 
Hang on. Let me get this right way around. Yeah, Everton's first half and Tottenham's second half. That's the one. That would be a pretty decent team. Uh, Tottenham's first half and Everton's second half, and they're, they're in the championship already. Uh, Philippe, one last thing. Newcastle are still right up there. Another victory, another clean sheet. Uh, Isaac back, Wilson fit as well. Uh, Joel Linton started the game yesterday, just days after uh, being charged with drink driving, and Eddie Howe said ahead of the game at the press conference that he had a decision to make. He made the decision uh, to start him. That they'd spoken to the player. That you know he knew what he had done. Is it is it too much to expect that a Premier League team would leave out a player just days after being charged with such a serious offence? Um, we're live, so I'd better be careful about that. <laughs> No, I think that's, uh, you know, you know what I think about Eddie Howe, and uh, um, I don't think that I'm looking to Eddie Howe as, as to being somebody who is going to give an example of uh, moral uh, rectitude. Um, that's just the way I would put it. I'm not surprised at all. Mm-hmm. I think many other clubs would have decided that, yes, today it was not quite right. This being said, there's a lot of hypocrisy going on. Um we can't obviously name names, but we know that there are players who have gotten into some very delicate situations who carried on playing. Um, one case, and I will give the name, and I'm, you know, everybody, anybody is uh, innocent until proven guilty, but I find quite extraordinary the situation of Ivan Tony at Brantford. And uh, I find it extraordinary that it's not being discussed that somebody who's been officially charged by the FA with 262, um, I think, counts of. Uh, Placing bets, or having people placing bets, whatever. I mean, okay, uh, he's going. To, there's going to be a hearing, but the charges have been made public, and nobody seems to. Uh, there's a lot of hypocrisy in the football world, and when it comes to um, to Joel Linton playing, he's an essential cog in in that team. He's uh, he's actually been absolutely fantastic for them, and the club will always think of its own interests first and foremost, and. Uh, um, even though I might, you know, I, I have my opinion about it, how he wouldn't certainly be the only manager who would have taken this decision or the only club. I, I think we can leave it at that. It's not, doesn't necessarily speak very highly of football as a whole. Mm. Uh, even Tony's uh, controversy has been joked about at this stage, Jonathan. Uh, it, it, would it just be hypocrisy to single out Newcastle for selecting a player? Um, I, I don't know if it's hypocrisy, but, but Philippe's right. There's we we are all aware of other players who've been charged with things much more serious uh, yep. than drink driving who are still playing. So I, I think in this case, I mean, you can criticise Newcastle for a lot of things. This is a thing that people have every right to criticise Newcastle for. Uh, but I think this is a case where there are other clubs who whose situations is... Uh, uh, I mean, I think the word Philippe used was delicate, and I think that's probably the best word mm-hmm. to use. Uh, all right, we've got to leave it there. Brilliant stuff as always. Jonathan, thank you. Philippe, great to talk to you. Cheers. Thank you very much. Uh, Jonathan Wilson there and Philippe Beauclair. Brilliant stuff as always. All our football is brought to you by Sky. You can watch all the football you love, including the biggest Premier League games every weekend live on Sky. And if you missed any of the two lads, you can get the podcast OTB Football. Get all our football coverage straight to your phone every single day. Football on Off The Ball. With Sky. Proud partner and supporter of the Republic of Ireland women's national football team. This is News Talk.